right, welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Very excited to have our guest today. Uh, Mooney, how, when, this is kind of a question mm-hmm. I like to start the podcast with, but you're in an elevator and someone says, what are you here for? What do you do? What, how do you answer that usually? Um, typically when people ask me that, I don't really tell them that I'm a golfer. <laughs> Why not? I, I don't know. Just too many questions, I feel like. Yeah, but I, I would usually just say I'm a student or, you know, I'm here to see a friend and all that. Yeah, it's... I just don't want to go into it, delve into it. There's too much. Well, as a professional golfer, yeah. as, a, as a professional athlete, mm-hmm. you probably need to minimize uh, distractions to some extent. Uh, yeah, I would say, which is hard because uh, I feel like I have ADD <laughs> and I always have a lot going on in my mind, you know, in my world. And I'm always interested in everything. Yeah. We've had some time before pressing the record button mm-hmm. to talk about some things. Um, first, let's do a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. So you're lucky enough to be in this small community of professional golfers. Um, how long ago did the journey to being a pro golfer begin? Um, well, you know, I've played golf since I was very, very young, probably since I could walk. And then I started competing when I was six years old. Um, but it really wasn't until... I think when I was 15 years old and I qualified for the U.S. Open, had I really known, hey, I want to be a professional golfer later on in life. Um, you know, just the whole experience of being able to play the U.S. Open and then making the cut and playing with my idol back then, Paula Creamer, um, was what really inspired me and drove me to want to be a professional golfer. I mean, I can't think of many, like, pinch-me moments that would... Uh, you know, that people get to realize in their mm-hmm. lifetime. I mean, especially at 15, were you able to even, like, understand the largeness of what was happening? Not really. I mean, in the back of my mind, I always knew, you know, maybe down the road I'll do something golf-related or maybe be a professional golfer. Interesting. But imagine standing on the first tee and having hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people surrounding the whole entire hole and that feeling you get, it's like something you can't really experience by doing anything else. Yeah, it's its pretty crazy. I think it's different than being on stage. It's a different feeling. I'm curious to know what you mean by that. It, it's hard to explain, but I just feel you're not putting on a performance for someone else. You're playing your own game. And to be able to have so many people watch you from the outside, its it's a different feeling. Yeah. Can you, where do you feel it in your body? Oh, I remember the first hole uh, of the U.S. Open. Oh, gosh, I, I couldn't even stand straight. Like, I felt like I was going to faint. I looked, my dad was on my bag at the time. I remember looking over to my dad and telling him, you know, dad, like, I don't, I don't think I know how to golf anymore. Like, I can barely stand. I feel like I'm going to faint. Uh, my legs are turning really soft. And, you know, and he's like, Honestly, I don't know what to tell you because I'm really nervous too. Did he? Yeah. We were both <laughs> freaking out. Yeah, I feel it everywhere in my body. The legs. The legs the and le- the hands. The hands. Yeah. I mean, my only experience that's slightly similar, mm-hmm. I'm not a competitive golfer. I'm I'm mildly okay at the game. Yeah. But we, I got to play in the waste management mm-hmm. uh, pro-am. Okay. And so I had to hit a shot on 16 in front yeah. of 18,000 people. Yeah. And I remember it was funny because I I found out I was playing just the night before. Right. I didn't have my clubs. Mm-hmm. I didn't have golf shoes. Mm-hmm. And so I we had to work all day. We were filming all morning. And so I got up at 5, went out to the range. There was no one there. There mm-hmm. was uh, 
there was just some lights on with generators and I, I knew the length of the hole. It was, mm-hmm. it was probably a, a, a cut nine iron or a draw pitching wedge. Yeah. And I was like, all right. And I just was like, I'm just going to, I need to find the shot right now. Yeah. And I was like, all right, it's a, it's a draw pitching wedge. And then I got up on the tee and I forgot everything, mm-hmm. grabbed the nine iron, mm-hmm. hit a cut. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the, the craziest thing to me was that, like that feeling of anxiety in the body and the, and the thoughts about what's happening. It was yeah. like, it was almost like it all went away and like, and like, uh, I, I don't know, like I think back to it a lot, but it's almost like there was a, there was like no real uh, experience of, of thought. Right. You zone out. Your mind goes blank. That's the amazing thing about it. It's like your instincts take over and you know, you know how to hit a shot and under pressure you know, you want to practice that shot enough times to where under pressure you can do it without thinking, ideally. Yeah. Yeah. I can hard. barely do it without pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you so you get into golf mm-hmm. as a uh, newly walking human. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous. How did that happen? Was it who put the club in your hands? Um, my dad, he's oh, he's a huge golfer. I think growing up when I was a kid, he would play probably three to four times a week while working and all that. So it's, it was a lot of golf. Yeah. And this is in Canada, China. Oh, when yeah. he, what, but you, when I was quite young, Oh, you so were... I moved to Canada, Vancouver, Canada, when I was in elementary school, first grade. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were already squarely into golf. You had a personality. Mm-hmm. So tell me about China a little bit. China's incredible. I think, um, I'm really lucky that I was able to experience so many different cultures. Um, when I was younger and it's a huge part of my identity of who I am it's taught me so much and you know I miss it I miss the food I miss the people and everything about it but golf in China it can be a little challenging at times you know not that many golf courses can be a little more expensive too at times yeah yeah golf all over Asia seems to be this interesting problem where it's adored Mm-hmm. And it's revered. Everybody loves it, especially mm-hmm. the women's game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Japan, I know, mm-hmm. and Korea, which I've never been to, but I'm about to go. Mm, I'm exciting. S- I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's such it's such an interesting problem, though, because it seems like every country loves their golf more than any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. Yet, actually going and playing is like is really really difficult. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the, yeah. I mean, in in Tokyo, it was long commute. Sorry, Snowball, you want to get down here? He's, you want some freedom? All right. Um, you know, it was it was a long drive, and then it's this, like, six-hour round mm-hmm. with a mandatory lunch break, and I was like, wow, this is, like, not sustainable almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I think in Asia, I'm not too familiar when it comes to, you know, Japan and Korea. I have played in Japan before, incredible. But, you know, I can imagine it's such a small country like how many golf courses can you really have and you know they're such big cities it's hard to have a golf course in the middle of the city so I can imagine it can be quite challenging but it's good that you know so many people watch golf and would go out of their way to watch golf in the middle of nowhere yeah 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 it is I I'm I definitely I've been to China Mm -hmm. once uh it was like a quick trip to uh Shanghai Mm -hmm. Which apparently is the least Chinese city of all of them, I think. It's such an international city, but it's actually one of my favorite cities in China, um, just because you have a good mix of, you know, traditional culture and 
the whole modern world of being super international and, you know, everything fun. Yeah. So we talked a little about travel before mm -hmm. we started here. Um, would you say that is, is that one of the harder parts of your job? For sure. It's hard to travel, you know, more than half, more than six months out of the year. I'm not exactly sure how many days I travel, but it's quite a bit. And, you know, I think although I love adventure, I love going to new places and meeting new people. I really enjoy being at home, too, at times. Yeah, so it makes it hard. Yeah, when I come home, I pretty much uh, don't leave the house. Exactly. It's just like, it's just recovery <laughs> mode, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you, uh, airplanes? Oh, yeah, we L talked a little thumbs about Thumbs up, that. thumbs down. Um, yeah, I've been flying a lot all my life, but it wasn't really until the past like year that I've really struggled with little bit of anxiety almost flying but it's getting better is it yeah it is what has helped it i'm not sure i think um just feeling more confident and you know kind of realizing that at this time in this moment that i'm up in the air there's so many other people up in the air with me you know that is reassuring <laughs> yeah i'm not alone reassuring. yeah i kind of feel like if you get on a plane and mm -hmm. aren't scared you are not aware of what's happening huh well, I mean, growing up, it was just such of a normal part of my life right. that I just thought, no big deal. You know, airplanes are safe. They're, it's the safest way to travel, which is true. I hate when people say that to me. <laughs> I say it to myself. Yeah. But just the feeling of being up so high in the air with nothing holding you down and secure, it's challenging. It's really hard. I was on a plane like uh, 15 years ago mm -hmm. in France, yeah. short flight, okay. took off, and then like just straight up. It was it hit like, you know the tiny little bumps that went like, uh -huh. burr, burr, yeah, burr. Yeah, yeah. like it almost feels like a back massager? Uh -huh. We hit like two of those, and then the plane just like descended like so rapidly that uh -huh. it was like unsafe. Like people hit the ceiling, and oh, it was like, God. and that was pretty much it for me. I felt that, and I'm still alive. Yeah. The plane still flew, mm -hmm. but the experience of, like, lack of control was mm -hmm. profound. Yeah, it can be very traumatizing, like PTSD, definitely. I might have I might have plane traumatics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, but I would say, you know, some people experience those things and go, hey, I'm still alive, you know, I'm still safe, which means the plane can take a lot. I mean, but yeah. it's hard to think that way. It is. Yeah, yeah. Especially when, you know, we have these fragile cars mm -hmm. that you're sort of like, I don't know, things break all the time. Yes. Whatever. Anyway, let's we'll move on. Yeah. Move okay. On. Moving on. When's your next flight? <laughs> um, Saturday, I'm flying out to Shanghai for the Buick Open. Oh, wow. Yeah. What airline do you take to Shanghai? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have like a specific You just airline. do whatever. <sighs> yeah. It's bad. I really should. I can probably rack up a lot of miles. You would definitely be getting some miles. Yeah. So your dad gets you into golf, mm -hmm. and what is that like? Now you've had probably, I would imagine, made his dreams come true. I would say he's pretty proud. Yeah, I mean, he's always been proud, but um, it's, I don't know. I don't think he ever thought it would turn into what it has today. Um, he just thought, hey, you know, it's something good for my daughter to do. It builds her character. It teaches her discipline and a lot of things like that, but... Yeah, to be a professional golfer, it's a lot of commitment, a lot of, you know, you have you have to give up a lot of things in life. And I don't think you ever thought about me actually pulling through. <laughs> but, yeah, Why? I'm really happy. Why do you think? 
um, it's a lot of sacrifices as a kid. You know, you sacrifice going to see friends. You sacrifice a lot of things for practice, for tournaments. I never got to experience prom, you know, no school dances. Um, it was hard for me to hang out with friends a lot of the times. Just things like that, that, you know, kids would typically experience. A lot of things I missed out on, but I don't regret it at all. I think it's so worth it. At the time, was it hard to make those decisions or were they relatively natural for you? Relatively natural. I think golf was always kind of a priority in my life. And I don't know, I just never really cared too much about small things like that, I would say. But you said um, that golf may not be the main thing you want to do. Is that what you said? No. Well, maybe that I heard you wrong, or maybe I'm paraphrasing incorrectly. But you said that there are, I guess, the other things that are very uh, important to you. Yeah, I, for sure. I mean, golf is a prioritize, and priority in my life. Sure. And I prioritize it. But um, I have a lot of other hobbies and interests in life. And I think ultimately the goal is to help others, you know, working with nonprofits or starting your own foundation of some sort to help a cause that you really care about. What are you looking at when you think about those things? Like we talked a little bit about mm -hmm. climate change. We talked a little right. bit about animals. We talked a little mm -hmm. bit about other things. Like what is – how did you find those values in, in your – how did you become sort of interested in those things and why do they sort of pull on your heartstrings? Um, I think it was the way that I was brought up. Um, my parents have taught me a lot of this, but obviously I've always really felt it as a kid. I think when I, when I used to listen to a sad song, when I could barely speak, I'd cry. When I would see a homeless man on the street, when I could barely walk, you know, I'd cry. It was just something that was always kind of within me. And, you know, my dad's really passionate about it because he grew up in poverty. So he and his three brothers barely had any money to eat, to go to school. He had to, you know, try to get a scholarship to go to school by doing art, by drawing, by painting. Um, you know, he tells me a lot of those stories. Can we talk a little bit about your father? Sure. Golf is not the easiest sport mm -hmm. to have your child get into, yeah. much less, you know, to the degree that you mm -hmm. have found success, worked very hard, I'm mm -hmm. sure. What's his path? How did he get to the place where he was able to provide you with this, you know, mm -hmm. potential reality right. for, the, for the dream to come true? That's a super long story. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds but really interesting. He's... Probably the most interesting man that I know, and I'm not being biased. Just maybe I'm biased, just because I'm his daughter. But I've I admire him so much. Like he's my inspiration, and he's taught me so much growing up. And um, so basically, you know, he came from a really tough place, and um, through like hard work, his hard work and dedication, and he was really able to build himself up to a place where he was able to start his own company, and you know that took off and did really well and that's how he was able to provide me with so much and he was able to put me into golf and all that um but yeah it's a super long story well how about just what uh -huh. can you go into detail on sort of where were the where where were the circumstances of right. his kind of birth and childhood and then what was maybe the the moment of um uh, you know inspiration that would mm -hmm. maybe ultimately change his life um, I think, so he's the second, he has three brothers, and he's the second oldest of them all, but he always felt like he had the responsibility to take care of everyone, so my dad's parents, my grandparents, were both professors, so they were very well-educated people, but, 
you know, due to the the situation with the country during the time that he was a kid, they really struggled to make money to make, you know, ends meet. And what ultimately happened was my dad's dad had to stop working. So my my grandmother was supporting all four kids and her parents at the time all on her own. And, you know, it was really rough. And when he was my age, he was sent off, when he was 16 actually, he was sent off to labor camp to work at a farm picking rice and every single day. So wait, is that... Is that paid or is that like imprisonment or um, not really paid? It was more like at the time every single youth from the countryside had to go to had to go and do that for two years. You know how Korea has you know send off their young people to ar- the army. Yeah, the mil- yeah. Back then, it was the law to send kids off to basically work. Yeah, yeah, for the country right. for a year or two. If I'm not getting it wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, don't don't quote me on this, but yeah. Uh, if you have any corrections, please yeah. just uh, yeah, yeah. just think about them really hard, and <laughs> yeah. maybe we'll hear you. Yeah, but um, you know, and he's told me a lot of very interesting stories that has happened to him during that time. For for example, he was the only kid who really wanted to read and study and learn because eventually he wanted to go off to school, and. You know, so he asked his the leader of his group if he could have a desk. And they said, we don't have the money for a desk. Um, you know, it's like, what do you want to do? But he was like, okay, but I really want to draw and paint and all that. He was like, okay, we'll make you a desk. Because they felt bad for him. My dad slept in a barn next to all the pigs. So the only thing that was separating him and the pigs were, like, dry haze, like hay wall. And you know, when it rained, it would seep through the roof and all that. It was very, very bad. Anyways, they basically built him a desk out of coffins. So they dug up coffins, and his desk was just made out of coffins. And that's how he practiced how to write, how to read, how to, you know, not how to read. He knew how to read, but how to paint and draw. And eventually, he applied to art school and was trying to get a scholarship to get into art school. Yeah. And then can you talk about what ultimately ended up being his business? Um, sure. So he worked for a publishing company after that. That's where he met my mom. But my dad has always had lots of really good friends. And I think together with a couple of his friends, he was able to start an old bar in Chindu, China. Yeah, so it was kind of this lounge pub place. And it kind of just popped off. It became really popular with the foreigners. And um, he made some money doing that. And... It was kind of where, it was the first place in Chindu, China, where, like, underground rock music really took off, which was super cool. And, yeah, it was kind of a legendary place back then. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Okay, uh, so where we left off was mm-hmm. uh, golf courses in cities. You have a special treat here. Yeah. At, mm-hmm. We're at your house right now, yes. if you're listening. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to see more, we have a video on YouTube of what's about to happen, which is we're going to go experience... What, what, what do you call this that you have here? This this homemade... This home... 
I don't know, a little backyard practice facility. <laughs> little backyard practice facility. <laughs> it's pretty, oh, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty incredible. I should practice here more than, you know, I do. What do you, what do you end up, where do you end up practicing more? Uh, Sherwood. Sherwood. Yeah. That's about a 20 minute drive. 15 15. Yeah. So, so what we have here is it's a, it's a, how long is the hole? Uh, it's not a hole, but I would say to the green from the tee to the green, it's about like 60 yards. Okay. And we have a range facing the other way that you can head out just towards bushes or as far <laughs> as you want. Yeah. The wild West. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what that was, you know, can you talk about that? Like a little bit how it started sure. and, and the decisions made mm -hmm. there. So when I was in high school, we lived in San Diego, and I committed to play at USC when I was a freshman. So my parents were like, okay, you know, maybe we should move to L.A. because it's slightly closer to USC, obviously. And um, they came across this house. They had no idea where it was. They had no idea where they were, but they just fell in love with the place. And they happened to have a football field in the backyard. And my parents were like, why can't we turn this into, you know, a practice facility? That'd be really, really cool. And then we hopped on that, that idea and made it happen actually pretty quickly. So, yeah, that was exciting. I can't believe it was a football field. Yeah. That's insane. A little football field. I don't think it's full size, but yeah. Like a 60-yard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, now I'm trying to figure out the person that had the football field here. That's very strange. Well, there's a recording studio in my house, too. Okay. So supposedly it's some producer, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And so you, uh, but you, uh, it, has it, has it uh, helped, I mean, it must have helped a lot of your game, especially, like, are, are you, like, the best 60 yards in it? <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I wish I could say that it, you know, I'm actually good at it uh, because of the turf, but I don't go out there enough. I prefer hitting off a of real grass still. Um, that's just the problem. And, you know, I have weak wrists, so sometimes beating off the turf too much can do more damage to your wrists. Right. Yeah. A wrist injury is common in golf. Very common, especially within women's golf. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Michelle has that. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Snowball has a question. Snowball <laughs> wants to know, um, I'm so fascinated to interview people like mm -hmm. yourself who have this totally, it's almost like an astronaut. You, you have this experience that no one else has. Right. It's not even just like the traveling around and the playing in front of people, but it's the um, the inner world of playing golf at such a high level with real with relatively speaking high stakes mm -hmm. and probably uh, having to manage all sorts of different emotions while you're out there. Can you talk a little bit about. Yeah, Snowball, I'm finishing up your question. <laughs> I got it. I, he wants to know. What has it taught you, really, beyond just, you know, uh, is there anything specific that you've really said that you've applied to your life? Mm -hmm. Are we talking golf in general or co competing? I think competition. Okay. Um, you know, this year I've learned a lot as a rookie on the LPGA Tour. Um, I mean, I've always been a confident person, but... If, any, if, I've, if I've learned anything this year is how to be even more confident within yourself and kind of prioritize what you want in life versus how, you know, trying to please everyone around you. It's quite hard. Um, golf, it's such of an individual sport where if you try to please everyone else, it's not really going to work out for you at the end of the day. 
So I think that's why a lot of the guys on the PGA Tour are able to do so well because they don't care what anybody else thinks. They only care about playing good golf and, you know, what makes them happy and what they think is the best route for them to go down. And I think that's very important. So that's the one thing that it has taught me is just to take control of your own life. I like that. Yeah. That's good. That's uh, You can do something with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot of people say patience or, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, and that's, no. that's great, no. too. But I mean, golf teaches you that. Yeah. But competing doesn't teach you that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because confidence in some sense is uh, mandatory. Yes, especially within competitive sports. You have to believe that you can win the tournament. You have to believe that you can, you know, beat every one of these girls or guys on out on tour. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But you have to go into it thinking that. Do you have an easy time with that belief or? No, I struggle with this so much because growing up, I was always someone who was like, oh, you know, I'm having fun. I'm out here. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I'm just trying to have a good time. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I don't think it works like that when it's your profession. Because everyone out there, they're so head on. You know, they're out there to win. And if you don't think like that, um, you can still be happy and smiley and enjoy and not stress about it. But in the back of your mind, that has to be your goal. Yeah, it's there was this uh, book that I really connected with mm-hmm. written by Stephen Pressfield. Okay. He actually wrote The Legend mm-hmm. of Bagger Vance. Okay. Um, but the book that I'm thinking of is called The War of Art. And he talks about being a writer and how... Um, you know, you need to, in that creative profession, it's, it's an interesting, yeah. it's not a direct parallel, but you've got this create, creative thing that you enjoy that mm-hmm. feeds your soul, mm-hmm. but then it's a profession. Yes. And I have this, right, with yeah. the cameras uh-huh. and, you know, yeah. talking to people. It, yeah. I would do it. I, w- I did do it for yeah. a long time uh-huh. for fun. And it was something that, hi, buddy, Snowball's really interested in talking today. Um, I did do it as a, as like a amateur vocation for a long time. And now it's a job. And he talks about, um, inspiration mm-hmm. and how, um, uh, luckily for him, inspiration strikes every morning at 8am. Wow. Incredible. And what he means by that is not that he's always inspired. He uh-huh. means that, and, and he talks about it in the book over and over and over yeah. about how he will go and sit at his desk uh-huh. and do nothing else. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting parallel between discipline and, um, you know, um, I guess pleasure and you know golf has a lot of that and maybe not as much for people in your shoes but for me right like I enjoy playing golf it doesn't matter whether I play well or not I mean I might make a hundred bucks here and there but you know going to the range is like ah, yeah, I don't, you know what I mean like it doesn't change much in my life mm-hmm. so it's so interesting that you know as we travel around the world and we meet people in you know Morocco or Cape Town or uh, Tokyo mm-hmm. they all have different ways of absorbing the game yes. of golf and so do people in your... Uh, For sure. So so who out there, I mean, you know, it, who out there has been, offered you some advice that was meaningful on, on tour? Um, in terms of inspiration? Yeah, or, or like, you know, because yeah, I, I, mean, I know that there's a community out right. there. It's funny because us girls on tour, I don't think there are a lot of people who are super close. Um, I think we're just so 
work driven all the time you know practice takes so long and it really drains everything out of you when you're out there so yeah like we're all friends but it's hard to deeply connect with people because you're always on work mode when you're at a tournament at least for me and my group of friends um but you know to touch touch on what you've mentioned about like doing it as a job and a passion and inspiration and all that it it was definitely a learning curve for me you know because growing up I've always loved golf I loved golf I loved playing it was kind of my way of escaping the world you know when I went through a really tough time in high school I remember I would just go out and play nine holes by myself and all of a sudden it's like all my problems went away and I I it just it's the best feeling in the world and now that it's my job or since I've turned professional I've kind of lost that a little bit it's more about you know what's going to be the best thing for my game and for a little bit this year there was a period of time where I just felt like I don't even know how long I could do this for I feel like it's you know traveling's hard and it's just I don't feel the passion that it used to feel for golf anymore but that has really changed. Um, it, it just changed so suddenly. You know, I came back home to L.A. and I really tried to reflect on what was happening in my mind and, you know, why this was happening and what is so different about it. And there was one morning at 7 a.m. I ended up writing like 10 pages on why I loved golf. And I think it just really reminded me of why I loved the game and what it meant to me outside of just it being a job and something for me to make money off of. Um, you write? I do. I write and read, yes. I mean, like, so when you write, can is this writing here? Yeah, but I'm not, I cannot read it. No? Why not? <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's not a journal because I don't keep it every day, but I, I mean, I do like to write down thoughts. It's just, it sticks with you a lot more than typing it out on your phone or, you know, just thinking about it. It's. It really sticks when you write it down with a pen and a pencil or a pen and paper. Is it like a journal? Um, is it like an activity I, that's regular or is it just when inspiration strikes? It's pretty regular. I mean, I write down everything on it. It's not just my my thoughts. I write down, you know, things that I've learned, um, things that I've read in books and, you know, my daily schedule. It can be whatever. Yeah. Where did you um, come up with that habit? Um... Honestly, over the summer, like these past few months, it just really keeps track of everything that goes on in your mind. Because I feel like my mind is always so scattered. I jump from one thing to another so quickly in my mind, where if I don't write it down, it's like I'm not going to remember tomorrow. That's, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so what are you reading? Right now I'm reading, um, I think it's something about the human behavior the art, like the by Robert Greene if that's his name it's a really interesting book yeah. so this is is that typical do you read novels or more like science and kind of uh, um, self-reflective mostly non-fictional like science books yeah I like to learn about certain interesting things I'm really into like you know learning about us human behaviors or anything about like biohacking like health and fitness and things like that yeah, it's very interesting the actual science of things yeah you, what do you love oh love i mean that's such of a broad question like what could you narrow it down for me just a little bit no. 
Okay, what I love. Um, I love new experiences. I love exploring and, you know, going to new places and meeting new people and just, I don't know, soaking in new information is what I love. Yeah. Uh, what do you hate? Repetitive things. I, I cannot do the same thing every single day again and again. It's tough for me. Yeah. Um, I also, yeah, that's what I don't like. I also hate like overthinking, which I do a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure everyone does, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How is, uh, I mean, on some level, mm-hmm. mental training in golf, has that been oh. an, an exploration for you? Definitely, especially recently. So not long ago, a few weeks ago, I went to go see Vision 54. Yeah, they're incredible. I love Lynn and Fia. Yeah, Lynn and Fia are incredible. And, you know, they're such, it's, it's such of a big part of the game that most of us golfers are completely not aware of. Even me. I mean, I was I was shocked by the information that they were, you know, teaching me for three days. My whole entire mind was just saying, like, I knew that. But how did I not know that? You know, it was something that we always kind of try to figure out, like, what are we doing wrong? But they really just dialed it down for you and made it into something that we can process and practice. Yeah, it was very cool. Did you do the course? I did. Three no day way. three day program with Lynn and Pia. Did you do it with uh like innocent with innocent group. bystanders or it was more of like an exclusive No, it was a, a small group of professional golfers. It doesn't have yeah, there were a bunch of non professional golfers. Too. I did this. No way. I did the three day thing. Yeah, in San Diego or I did it in um in uh Scottsdale. Okay. At um I'm um, forgetting the name of their home course. Talking Stick. Oh, okay. Right by the casino yeah, there. Yeah. I remember being totally blown away, like the throwing of the club. Uh, I'm not sure if I did that. <laughs> you didn't do that one. No, but, yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing. Y- you were probably in an advanced class. I I was probably in the remedial class. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like swinging, I'll have to swinging ask. Swinging with one leg. Yes, we did that. We've done that, yeah. Chipping through, like, visual targets. No, we didn't do no. that. Okay, yeah. well, we don't need to compare this okay. to, to too much of a degree. But I <laughs> yeah. remember just spending my time with them. They've, they've been on the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. Spending time with them and just mm-hmm. seeing, like, you know, how we sort of preemptively limit our uh, potential yeah. was pretty profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of things we don't realize. Again, it's the human behavior. And I really liked how they break things down to the science of it, to actually, like, why it happens. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about repetitiveness Mm -hmm. as being something that you hate. On some level, I'm wondering when does that get repetitive? You know, the the constant moving. And it has. And you and I talked about it a little bit, you know, before we started. Mm -hmm. But have you developed any um, tactics to kind of manage that? Mm -hmm. For sure. Do what's uncomfortable for you. Do things that you think you would suck at. I pick up new hobbies all the time and hobbies that I have no idea what to do. I just started surfing this year and I, it's incredible. I love it, you know, and pick up new hobbies like cooking, making sushi. I, I can think of so many things on top of my head, but um, a lot of the times we do what we feel like we would be good at or something that would be fun for us. But what about things that make you uncomfortable? Um, you know, I'm not 
I'm not the best at being in front of the camera, but what about like doing something like that? You know, that's that's what I have in mind. Or um, like, what about improv classes? You know, just things. There's so many things in this world that we can try, and I think is what makes it so interesting. Like, do what's uncomfortable for you, and then you grow from that. I've always wanted to go do stand-up comedy. Why not? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I I agree. There's so many things that I've always wanted to do, but especially being a golfer, it's so hard to find time. So when off-season is approaching, my brain's going like, all right, like, let's do some fun stuff. Yeah. So you've got surfing. Um, yeah. Anything that you tried that you were like, fuck this? Ooh. Um... Not really. I can't think of anything. You seem like a pretty positive person. Yes, but I just can't think of anything that it really did not like. What makes you mad? A lot of things. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not mad, but like annoyed, I would say. Okay. Or maybe that's just something I say. I always say, I always start a conversation with friends by saying, you know what annoys me? Yeah. And then um, by the time they get to know me really well, they go everything. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, I just say that. Nothing really ticks me off, like truly ticks me off. Yeah. I think um, like rude people kind of tick me off at times. Um, people who aren't very nice and understanding of other people. Yeah. But that's about it. I feel like we're on some level similar in the sense that mm -hmm. Relatively happy, positive, mm -hmm. more interested in good news than bad news. Yeah. But I'm also an insane critic. Me too. And so I'm annoyed all the time. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because it's mm -hmm. kind of dichotomous. Like, very. And especially, I think the annoyance, a lot of it mm -hmm. comes from because of, I mean, I feel a bit silly saying that I have a stressful life because I really don't when I get down to it. Mm -hmm. Everything's great. Yes. You know, you know, when you go get a video game and you pick uh -huh. your character and you can see what levels they're at, strength, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. stamina, uh -huh. creativity, whatever. Uh -huh. Like I'm at a hundred. Okay. Everything's great. Okay. And that's the truth of it. Uh -huh. But within that, there is an element of, okay, we're going to get off the plane and then we're going to go shoot and then mm -hmm. sunset's going to happen and then the clouds are going to come in and mm -hmm. then the drone's not going to fly mm -hmm. because of the airport mm -hmm. and then the bed's not comfortable and, but yeah. I'm not going to, you know, and, and it's just like, it's almost like the more corn that yeah. the that the machine picks up from the yeah. field the more rocks it picks up sure and the more things of discomfort and and you know i've really been trying to focus on mm -hmm. how to just sort of let those like you know like a wave when you're surfing just like pass over me and just like not mm -hmm. and so i was listening to um i don't know if you know bill burr the comedian no so i would <laughs> if you're if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast and you listen to bill burr you know what i'm talking about He's got a comedy special on Netflix right now. It's okay. a little intense. Okay. Uh, he's got some opinions that are um, not necessarily shared by myself. But, yeah. You know, it's kind of this shock comedy. Uh -huh. But um, he basically spends an hour complaining. Okay. And I found that I couldn't listen to it anymore because I would just basically go around and complain. Yes. You know, it's interesting to experience, like, these things where you're, like, as a critic, you, you're, like, you're, like, well, I know a good experience. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. I can help you make this a good experience, but it's not really my place to tell you how to fold the towel. Yep. I mean, I understand that a lot, but at the same time, those aren't really the things I complain about. Okay. 
I am more annoyed at human interactions. I don't understand why some people cannot be like polite or cannot be straightforward. You know, like I'm just confused at I'm confused when people make things more complicated than it has to be. Right. Those are more like the type of things that I get annoyed at. Um, like the, you know, I, I can see, I, I do have friends who, you know, will go to a hotel or, you know, we'll travel together and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm paying so much for this hotel. And like the towels aren't even fully right. You know, things like that. Like that are doesn't annoy me too much. <laughs> Maybe that's you. I don't know. But it's pretty common. I don't care about the towel. Yeah. Well, but, see, what I would care about in a hotel yeah. more is, um, hey, look, the AC is not working. I'm not going to yes. go crazy, mm-hmm. but you at least need to like remedy the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I would like to say, I'd like to hear an I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No, no, no I understand that. And I mean, when there's an attitude with that, then I'm like, what am I even doing here? Yeah. And this isn't a great example. This yeah. is, this makes me sound like a diva on the no. road. Oh, but. <laughs> please. Like the AC is the most important thing. Like, come on. It's pretty key. I remember going to Scotland earlier this year. There's no AC in Scotland. Zero. Horrible. So let's talk about Scotland. Yeah. You had, uh, how many days were you there? Uh, a week, I believe. Okay. Seven days, yeah. And did you get any off time? Mm, you know, we went into the city every night. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, what's the city called? I'm uh, Edinburgh? Yeah, Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. And it was during the French festival as well. That's the best time. So, yeah. And the sun is up. Yes. All night long. So every night we take like a 20 minute cab ride into the city and we go and eat food and just walk around. It was really great. It's a, it's a magical city. Yeah. Supposedly that um, uh, castle there is mm-hmm. what Harry Potter's castle was based on. No way. Yeah. I've heard about the train bridge, the yeah. bridge where the Hogwarts Express t- goes through. Yeah, but I just didn't have time to go visit it, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. But I want to go back, definitely. Th- that's the irony, right, is you go everywhere, but you yeah. don't actually go everywhere. That's the thing, yep. And and the downtime. Talk to me about the downtime. What what is the what is you know you you mm-hmm. you play a ton of golf during the day and then what happens? Well, most of the time, by the time you get home back to the hotel, you just want to eat. You know, maybe like call delivery or room service, or not really go out. But I would have to say, if it's like a big city or if it's somewhere new, I'd always try to push myself to go out and just explore a little bit. But yeah, I mean Monday through Sunday. You know, if you make the cut, you're working every single day. Right. It's hard to find time during the day to go anywhere. And so what do you do to, like, recover? You Is it, like, Netflix or do you read or? Yeah, I think definitely Netflix because reading, you use your brain. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Um, I like to watch, like, cartoons or something cartoons. really dumb. Yeah. To turn my brain off. Wait, like, what kind of cartoon? Uh, there's so many good ones, like Rick and Morty. Oh, okay. Yeah, Big Mouth, great. Netflix. That's yeah. uh, Dan Harmon. Yeah. That's that's this podcast is on his network. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah I love Big Mouth. I love Rick and Morty. Um, Adventure Time is a good one. Okay. Yeah, I and mean, there's just so many. Uh, did you ever see the the one with the talking horse? What is it? Bojack Horseman. Bojack yeah, Horseman. It was something horseman. Yeah. 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 No, I haven't. That one? But I've seen. It on Netflix. Yeah, just, I haven't watched it. I think yet. you would like it. Okay. It's like uh, it's like a Hollywood satire. Oh no way! It's this horse yeah. that used to be famous. Okay. And okay. he was on a sitcom <laughs> in his younger years, yeah. and now he's like sort of an alcoholic, oh, like boy. kind of uh, you know self-loathing horse. Oh, and his girlfriend, his, what his girlfriend's like an eagle. 
something like that. Yeah, okay. Interesting. <laughs> it cracked. I only watched the first two seasons, uh-huh. and apparently it gets better and better. Okay. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna maybe get back into that. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend for people to watch? What do you like? What's like, some of your favorite things um, you watch? I watch a lot of things. That's not. I don't like to watch things that uses too much of your brain. Okay. Um. So you know, a lot of people watch Game of Thrones. I don't really watch Never seen it. it. Yeah, it's a little too complicated for me. Well, it's also years of uh-huh. of backlog now. Like, how many hours or days do you have to spend, you know, to get through a season? I mean, you'd have to have that. a serious injury. Yeah. That would be, yeah. I don't know, I can't do it. I just feel like my life would be wasted if I spent all that time watching every single episode. Yeah, because episode. after you watch yeah. it, you don't gain anything. There, exactly. There's, there's no takeaway. Exactly. And I enjoy watching, like, really silly cartoons at night because it just turns my brain off and it makes me happy you know like adventure time it's in this world of candy where people where where these characters are made out of candy and clouds and you know it just makes you happy it brings you back to when you're a kid and you don't have to think yeah it's good i'm gonna try that yeah um what is your motto in life oh geez i don't know i've never really thought about it um, what's yours? Life is short. I would have, I mean, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I <laughs> but it's not necessarily your motto. No. Um, I don't, I've never thought about my motto until you asked me. Okay. And it can change, but I right. mean, you know, what do you live by? Okay. I think. What, what do you remind yourself? Right. Starting this year, it's been do what makes you happy. Hmm. Majority of the time. <laughs> but that's ironic because, you know you're you're grinding yeah but that makes me happy like the end result will make me happy Mm. and a part of the grind is fun too it's not yeah the grind is fun i think um but it's also important to have balance so you grind and then you take time off you grind and you take time off and that's like a daily thing you know uh do you play golf for fun ever Oh my gosh, yeah, it's my favorite. Like, that's why I love golf, because I love playing for fun. I love traveling, seeing different courses, playing with friends, meeting different people on the golf course. That's what golf is about. Competing is really fun, too. Well, if you're struggling while competing, that's tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine. Like, if I bogey a par five, Mm -hmm. I'm not friendly. You know, I'm being sort of facetious, but I could only imagine. But it would be like, if you're like, this is beneath my potential, mm-hmm. you know, and it's I mean. It's depressing. Yeah, really. It's sad. Like, especially if it keeps on happening and you're working hard and you don't know what's going on. It really brings you down to a place where it's like, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. And I say that and I'm just, I have no stakes. Yeah. You know, people, a common phrase that golfers utter is, what am I even doing out here? Uh-huh. And I thought I was the only one who thought of that until I met Lynn and Pia. And they brought it up. They were like, you know, every golfer goes through it, especially competitive golfers. Like, there will be times on the golf course where you just, you don't know why you're there and you don't want to be there. And I was really scared of that thought for a while because, you know, when I really struggled, that's how I felt on the golf course during competition. Like, mm. I don't want to be here. Like, I'm not playing well right now. I don't feel like I'm going to play well. This just sucks. It's the worst feeling in the world. In golf, what's the most important mission for you that goes beyond your career or your um, furthering your insight and your knowledge? Is there is there some type of 
like thing out there, some cause within golf that's important to you? Within golf? I think growing the game. I mean, changing, changing the way that golf is viewed in the world is seems like an interesting idea to me i mean if you think about it golf is such of a professional i'm not professional traditional sport right um we have to dress a certain way we have to act a certain way when you go to the country club you know you have to take your hat off it's like super proper and all that's really cool but how about like at the same time make it more approach approachable by young people by the younger generations and how do we make it like cool for everyone yeah, that's um, that's one of these things that seems to be uh, a large question without really an answer. But at the same time, I feel like um, people that are cool are making it happen on some level. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. There's sort of like this Berlin Wall that needs to crumble that I don't know where it exists. Uh -huh. It's not one golf course because I don't have... I used to have more of a problem with private clubs and mm -hmm. dress code. And now I just, I'm like... Right, 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 right. Yeah. I don't look bad with a collar. I don't mind wearing a belt. You know, I don't yeah. wear one voluntarily. Yeah. I don't mind a lot of that stuff. I feel like, you know, you, you dress a certain way to respect the game. But yeah. It could be a little looser, in my sure. opinion. How does women's dress code, does that is that problematic for you at all, or is it pretty simple? Not for me. Um, I think it's appropriate to the you know, to this, to the point where you're not showing anything that it's like, you're not showing, you know, parts where you're not supposed to and things like that. I understand. But, um, in junior golf, it was really tough. I mean, junior golf, we had the dollar bill rule. So if your skirt is above like a dollar bill, if you're f from <coughs> your knee, oh, from your knee, then, you know, you have to go change or put on rain pants. And it sucked if it was a hundred degrees outside, you know? Yeah. Dollar bill rule. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, where does that even come from? I don't know. It sounds like some, uh, like, boarding school, prep school type <laughs> of deal. Yeah. But it doesn't bother me too much. Um, yeah, it, it, it's fine. But I do think that it can be a little looser and people can be a little more creative. Because if you look at golf clothes, a lot of the times it's like, okay, it just, it looks like golf clothes. Like, everybody's wearing the same thing. Like, where right. where's the uniqueness and the characters to golf clothes? But I think, you know, Michelle, people like Michelle, there are people who are doing it really, really well. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely trending in the right direction, at least. Yeah. But it's a, but there is a, there is a long way to go. So, yeah. I mean, I thank you for, uh, you know, doing your best to make golf cool. <laughs> it seems pretty effortless the way you do oh, it. Oh, please, you are doing it, too. I mean, unintentionally, maybe, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, I try to make golf welcoming, really, yes. because for me, it was very hard to, you know, I think because it's so unusual mm -hmm. to get to fall in love with golf, right, right Not it doesn't happen to most people. Mm -hmm. uh, you essentially uh, like it's like, you know, an alien ship comes in and they select you mm -hmm. and they don't select your family. They, well, I mean, your father, but yeah. my family is not really a family of golfers. Yes. And so I found it on my own and then I sort of had to find a new tribe and there's, it's not the simplest road. There's, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of signposts, even just in where to get the range balls. But you know what I mean? Like, like it's, yeah. it's sort of like you're on your own. Yes. But at the same time, I feel like it's actually a sport that's so accessible within the U S you can go to a range and buy, I don't know, like 
50, 100 balls for $5 or less, and then you just go play. Like, you get a set of whatever clubs. It doesn't need to be good, but you can just go hit balls. Versus if you try to play soccer, it's like, where does that begin? It's, do you have to go find a team, or do you join a team? You have to, like, join a league. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess to me it's easy to start golf because it's just always been a part of my life. But I can see how it can be really challenging for people outside of the U.S. or North America to golf. It's hard. It's hard to get there, and it's it's a lot of money. Like, it's, it's expensive to golf in some countries. So in closing, uh, do you have a message out there to anyone perhaps that is inspired by you and, and perhaps sees you in themselves as far as, you know, wanting to be in your shoes and play competitively and, and experience success? Yeah, I'm so honored. I think, you know, if anyone is in that shoe, I would say... Do it. Work hard. Have fun in life. Um, just enjoy life. Enjoy life, and and really see golf as like like why golf makes you happy, and like why you want to do this, and really envision your end goal because that's what I try to do every day, or when I feel unmotivated, just to yeah, just to find that passion within yourself and work hard, but have fun at the same time. Yeah, just be you. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for... Uh, Thanks for having me. All right, folks. What's better than saving money on premium golf balls? Saving money on premium golf balls that you can customize with any logo you want. Whether it's your dog or your lawyer, customize your vice balls at vicegolf.com. Also, podcast listeners, podcast listeners get free customization using the code EAL2020. Hit them up. All right, folks, Adidas. Adidas is pushing the boundaries once again in golf footwear. And if you've been counting, I, don't, I haven't been counting. It's a lot of times. But they're doing it again, so whatever many times it's been, it's at one. Uh, so you need to check this out. It's called the Code Chaos, all capitals. The footwear team let me know that this shoe was meant to break down traditional stereotypes and make a statement that there doesn't have to be one look for the sport when it comes to golf footwear. It's it's athletic and bold from a style standpoint, but this shoe is seriously packed with technology. It's spikeless, but beyond just being tested with guys like DJ and Xander, they did heat map studies. Heat map. That means they know where you are right now. They literally know, and watch, I'm telling you, you're going to get an ad for Adidas footwear in your feed. I'm telling you, and I just, it's not me. I don't know if it's them. It's probably Xander, not DJ. Xander's got an X in his name, so he's a little more sinister. Even though I would not, I would probably feel more likely that DJ would really, he could he could do some damage with the club um, to my face. So to see how players shift their weight, they use this heat mapping technology to, to see where they, they shift their weight, but also where you are physically at this current moment uh, throughout the swing. So anyway, with all that info, they created a new traction system called Twist Grip. Twist Grip. That's spelled the way it sounds. Anyway, so the players get the grip they need exactly where they need it, and this is an ad lib, and when they need it. That's I just added that. Uh, it's waterproof. Waterproof is key. Let's get, let's get honest, folks. If you want a waterproof shoe, unless you live in the desert, you can wear sandals or moccasins. 
But for everybody else, you need the waterproof shoes. So hit up the code chaos. It's waterproof, lightweight, and obviously has the boost cushioning, which we all love. There's even a high top boa version, which I'm not sure I'm man enough to rock, but John Rahm is. But he's also he's very, very good at golf. We can all agree. These things are next level, so get yourself a pair. Head over to adidas.com slash code chaos. Spelled the way it sounds. Although the C-H in chaos is sounds more like a K. So it's C-O-D-E-C-H-A-O-S. And shop the styles and follow Adidas Golf on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news from Le Trois Stripes. That's three stripes, folks. Tailor-made, folks. I got to tell you, the first golf clubs that ever went in my little old hands were tailor-made burner oversize. They had some crusty old grips that I redid myself at risk of my own fingertips with the razor, and I and I got high because I don't know if you've ever re-gripped your clubs, but you 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 become an an inhalant addict because you're putting like really noxious stuff. Don't don't grip your own clubs unless you really want to. Anyway, mad respect. Give me a fist bump whenever I see you. I grip my own clubs. I put the grips on them myself. I say, how much did you say? I mean, you could save money. You save money because I think you put them on. It's like twenty bucks each, and you and you buy the grips yourself. It's like eight bucks. By the way, regripping fourteen clubs. I mean, you, that's like a lot. Go buy TaylorMades instead. They come with grips. My favorite TaylorMade edition now, obviously the Sim Max I'm playing, is a monster club. One of the many things Tiger Woods have an eye in common is playing the Sim. But also, I really, I kind of love the wedges, the raw faced wedges. MG. I both love the high toe in matte black. I also have a matte black shaft. I know you didn't ask, but I went ahead and told you. Anyway, TaylorMade, my favorite thing about TaylorMade beyond the incredibly performing equipment is the people that make this company up. The, the, band, of, the band of brothers down here, the band of sisters, the family in Carlsbad really, really gets behind what we do, and that means it's important for you to get behind what they do. So go support TaylorMade, everybody, and hit them straight or just don't, just, just hit them with TaylorMades, though. Just get some, just stop messing around with all the others. Hit them straight with TaylorMade, but just hit TaylorMade at least. I mean, if you're not, I mean, just, just go, I mean, what are you doing? Just pause the pod, go on TaylorMade. What's their website? I don't even, they don't even need a website. Just go find TaylorMade ASAP. There should be, what? What I play? I play the, okay, studio is asking me to play, I play the P760s, four through pitch. Then I've got the milled grind raw face. 50, 54, and 58, and then I rock. I'm in between the Gapper and the Sim Hybrid right now. I play the two Gapper. Uh, I've got a steel shafted 6.5 Project X in that one, as with all the irons. And then on the driver, I have the uh, Sim Max with a 9 degree. I'm still working on getting my numbers on that. I don't really know. I got the 10.5 and, and the 9. We're going to do a little experimentation. Maybe, honestly, you know what? Whatever one I don't use, how about it's yours? How about that? We're gonna. I don't know how we're going to manage this. Head over to the Instagram account. Get ready for the old giveaway of the a driver that I can't hit. <laughs> anyway, TaylorMade's the family, folks. All right, folks, Precision Pro. One advantage that low-handicap golfers have that has nothing to do with the mechanics of their swing, it's that they approach every shot with all the right information. The more informed you are, the better your decision-making process is before you even swang that club. I rely on Precision Pro rangefinders to give me the precise information as I make my way through 18 holes, sometimes 36, MJ. I've carried several of their rangefinders around the world with me, and they've all been easy to use, incredibly fast, and most importantly, it gives me the exact yardage so I can choose the right club. 
You know, you need those two things. It's a relationship, folks. You can't just hit the same club on every shot, and you can't just hit the same yardage. All golfers need a rangefinder that they can trust. And I'm telling you that my boys over there in Cincinnati, I trust them. And I'm just saying that the Precision Pro is a brand I trust. My listeners also receive $20 off any of their great rangefinders. Just use the promo code ERIC at checkout for an extra $20 off, E-R-I-K, to add to one of their award-winning rangefinders to your bag this summer. You can even put it in your pocket. I do that, too. It actually is. A, it's got a magnet, too, and it goes onto your cart. But if you put it on the cart, you might forget it. I've done it, folks. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do your. Don't play yourself like that. Best of all, Precision Pro Golf is the only rangefinder that offers free lifetime battery replacements. So not only are you getting a rangefinder, you're signing up for a lifetime service. It's a commitment. It is a lifetime commitment. You literally hand-in-hand hand with Precision Pro. Well, I'm not sure where that came from. Anyway, it's all part of the industry-leading customer service that Precision Pro Golf delivers to every customer. Booyah. Swing with confidence, hit more greens, and with use and I'm going to do that one more again. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Later. All right, one more ad read. I'll probably do another one after this. Jones Sports Go, folks. If you want the bag that I rock, it's the Jones Sports Bag. They got the Player Series. They got the original. What are the other? What's the other models they got? The stand bags? We're pulling it up in the studio, folks. But here's the thing. Jones, if you haven't seen the video on YouTube yet, please check it out. We went up there, visited with them. We designed a lot of cool stuff. We're going to be designing more stuff. We have two bags on the Random Golf Club site that have the Random Golf Club script on it. The Utility Trooper is the is the is the info I'm getting of the name of the other bag that I like. It's got the stand. It's got the stand bag. I also I I mostly rock the original, which is based on a design from the '70s. Uh, was his name Jones? His name was Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me. Now that guy got in a lot of trouble for some. What's that? Taxi cabs. But the but the guy who sang the song, Mr. Jones, he's no he's gotten a lot of trouble. Don't want to talk about him. But Mr. Jones, not that the song is written about, was a taxi driver in New York. He made a golf bag out of the upholstery in his taxi. And that's where Jones has come from. So they're obviously the comfortable shoulder strap on the original series is what I love. Got a lot of cargo space, and you've got three pockets to hold all your clubs. And you look basically like a badass. You're 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 if you're if you don't have a if you don't have a significant other at, at the start of the round, you will have one at the end. Am I right? Watch out. It's, it's, you know, that's the studio here says, get a Jones bag. I'm not going to say get laid, but basically that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't say it. You said it. You heard it. I didn't say it. Jones Sports Go, everybody. Love them. All right. Whoop, folks. Whoop. W-H-O-O-P. I think you know what I'm talking about. You've seen Rory wearing it. You may have seen me wearing it. And I'm pretty much into this wearable device. Wearable technology. Wearable. I like it. At first, I was like not sure if I was going to like having this thing on my wrist, but I'm into it mostly because of the incredible amount of information that it gives me about me and my life and how to perform better. Like I'm not going to ever be some amazing athlete, but I do like getting this feedback from my body. So basically, it has inside of it this crazy light that reads not only your heart rate, but all sorts of other things about your body, mostly the the time in between heartbeats, the heart rate variability, that's key. Um, anyway, it provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep and how recovered your body is and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from your workouts and the normal stressors of life. Big key takeaway, walking 18 holes, that's a workout, folks. No joke. 
Um, so anyway, when I get up, I look at my whoop score. I try to see how I slept last night. Uh, and I've tried to incorporate takeaways to get better sleep. And, uh, especially when traveling and stuff like that, cause rest is really important and, uh, the quality of sleep is really key. So, you know, it, it has all these, you know, suggestions for getting better sleep. The biggest takeaway is consume a lot of water. Um, also I've started exercising more. This thing plugs in great to all of my exercise routines and I can see exactly where I'm at, at my, uh, max heart rate. Um, it's got a built-in feature with a strain coach that it gives you target exertion goals and workout to work out optimally for the level of intensity. Um, it basically is a personal assistant for your working out. Um, and folks, big deal for you guys. They're offering 15% if you use the code EAL at checkout. That's 15% off WHOOP.com and enter EAL at checkout to get your discount. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop. Uh, it's got it's custom tailors to your body. It takes like a like a little bit of time to get to know you, and then it knows you, and it's fun because I've got a lot of friends that use it, and we talk about it. I'm like, yo, what was your sleep score last night, bro? And basically, it's how early did you go to bed and how early did you wake up and did you get distracted while sleeping? Um, it tracks all four stages of your sleep, slow, wave, REM, and light, and when you wake up, and it can tell you how much sleep you've actually gotten down to the minute. So it's like the first thing I do when I wake up is I just check it and I'm like, yo, what, how did we do last night? And I can tell, I can notice the difference now. And it's kind of like that awareness wasn't really there before using the whoop strap. Um, the whoop journal allows you to track the decisions that you make during the day and the impact that those have on your recovery. And basically guys, whoop can help anyone perform better, whether it's preparing for a golf match. Yo, yeah. Race meeting, etc. Whoop can help plan out your day and make smarter lifestyle decisions to help you feel better than ever. And I can say I have definitely improved in a lot of areas there, whether even now when I walk 18, like I feel better, you know what I mean? And I think part of that is you're just focusing on your body's performance. And this is the tool that gives you the insight to do that. So please go check it out. Support the people that support us. Whoop.com. W-H-O-O-P. Enter code E-A-L at checkout to get 15% off.